Blog Talk Radio. Talk about this evening is 
that agile mindset. But can kind of talk our audience through, for in your own words, kind of your history with agile. Why don't we start there? So um, it started in 2004. Um, was in a, a uh, and at, at that point in time, I was doing business analysis work, um, either as an employee or as a, a contractor. <clears throat> and I happened to be in a, um, a bookstore, and <laughs> on the uh, I don't know if I've ever actually told the author of this book this or not, but on the um, discount table was a copy of um, Agile. Uh, Agile Modeling by Scott Ambler. And I picked it up and started leafing through it. And I'm like, well, hey, this, this sounds pretty interesting. This looks pretty good. And one of the things that Scott Ambler did really well with his books at that point in time was to provide a lot of information, a lot of resources. And as I was looking through it and reading more about it, that was really my first exposure to Agile. Um, I realized it was very similar to the kind of the way I approached things. And it was kind of nice to know that there was some kind of idea and naming around it, some of the ideas around it. So I started getting involved in some of the um, user groups that he had mentioned, uh, a lot of Yahoo groups that he mentioned at the back of the book. Um, and through there, I met some people virtually, found out about this conference that was going out, out in Salt Lake City called the Agile Development Conference um, that was being put on by Alistair Coburn and Todd Little. So I went out there um, Went to that, met a lot of great people, got involved with a group of folks that were starting an organization that ended up becoming the Agile Project Leadership Network and ended up, um, which is now the Agile Leadership Network. And so that was kind of how I first got involved in the Agile community. Um, one of the things while I was doing that was starting to figure out where can I start applying some of these ideas on the projects I was working on. And at that point in time, it was fairly new because Agile as a, as a term only was being applied to software development since 2001. Um, and, and since I'm uh, in the Midwest, I live in Des Moines, uh, things tend to move a little bit slower here. Uh, so they, uh, the companies I was working at hadn't really heard of it yet, but I, there were a lot of cases where I knew that if I were able to apply some of those ideas and certainly live the principles and the values, I could make things happen a lot more effectively. So I started inserting things in a guerrilla fashion um, on the projects I was working on, and then when people asked me, well, what are you doing, I started explaining what it was all about. And as I got more involved with the community, um, got heavily involved with the, the Agile uh, conferences. So every year the Agile Alliance runs a conference. Um, so this year's was Agile 2014. Um, got, got involved more people with that and got to the point where I was actually, um, instead of coming in necessarily to help um, staff up a business analysis area, was actually coming in to help start coaching teams. And so I've been doing that kind of work for the last few years. Um, and now it, a lot of what I do is a mixture of training and coaching, helping people to adopt Agile um, and to get better at doing analysis in general using a lot of the Agile approaches, a lot of the principles and values that I refer to as the Agile mindset. Excellent. Thank you. And, and, and so that, that's a great dovetail because that, that was my, my question. Let's talk about when you say the agile mindset, because there's there's agile, which some may say is or is not, you know, a, a strict methodology per se. And maybe you could elaborate on that. But you know, when we talk about agile the methodology, so to speak, or the approach to projects versus agile mindset, what 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 do you mean by that, or, or what's your thoughts on that? Well, and, I, and I'm, I will admit I'm not the one that initially called, labeled it the Agile Mindset. Um, I, I've, there's a lot of folks in the community that have called it that. I don't even know where it originated. The reason I use that term is because uh, 
the ideas around where the ad, the term agile really comes from is that there were a variety of approaches to doing software development that people were coming around up with in the mid nineties. Um, folks that had kind of come up with those got together in 2001 in a ski resort and said, well, let's, you know, see where we have some common ground. It turns out where the common ground in is in the values and principles that underlie the techniques they're using. Um, and those, those values and, te- and principles are kind of embodied in the thing called the Agile Manifesto. Um, the way I like to describe the mindset, it really comes down to there's a much bigger emphasis on delivering value, and that's kind of identified. And, and my perspective is, is you're, you're satisfying needs of your stakeholders. So you're doing something for them. You're solving them a problem. Um, some folks like to call it making, uh, doing the change, making a change in the world. Um, you're doing that in a collaborative fashion. So one of the big things with, with Agile, because a lot of the techniques that people use when they're doing quote-unquote Agile approaches have been around for quite a while. The big thing that Agile brought to it was this focus on value and a much bigger awareness of the people that were actually doing the work. Um, the thought is, is that we, we really have to start realizing that the people doing this are, in fact, people, and we need to look for ways of how can they work better together. So collaboration is a huge aspect of it. Then there's the big big thought around continuous improvement and rapid feedback cycles and being able to try something, get some fairly fast feedback, and then figure out, okay, what do we need to do in order to change that? Um, never sitting still, realizing that our first thoughts when we start out a project probably are going to be wrong because that's the point where we know the least about what we're trying to do. So we should accept that and position ourselves to learn more as we go along. So those are kind of the main key aspects of that, what I refer to as the Agile mindset. It's the focus on value. It's the idea of collaboration. It's the reflection and adaptation. And it's, it's really working with stakeholders to make sure you're satisfying their needs. Well, thanks but, a lot. And thank you. I'm sorry, Jacqueline. Go ahead. No, I'll, I'll give it to you and let you – you must have a question online, so I'll let you take it. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks, Jasmine. Uh, thanks, Ken, for sharing that. And, and I know you've been an agile practitioner for quite some time. I must say that was quite a find uh, those years ago when you found that agile book on the uh, bargain table. That's like finding an old album, uh, you know, that you've <laughs> always cherished, you know, and you don't even know it until later on. But uh, as I mentioned, exactly. the, agile, the Agile methodology has gone through a lot of evolution. And if you uh-huh. could explain, what have you seen during that evolution where, from where it started from, uh, to where it is today? It, the, I think maybe the best way to um, talk about that evolution is to kind of talk about which flavor um, has been the most popular. So when I was first getting, um, finding out about Agile, I think the flavor, the approach that tended to be the most popular, the one that was most spoken about was extreme programming or XP. Um, and it, uh, of all the approaches, they all have different kind of emphasis. They all focus on slightly different things. Most of the original Agile approaches were all, I like to look at them as they were all kind of built to address problems in software development or product development surrounding software. So that's really kind of where they all, they all grew up. Extreme programming has um, places a much bigger emphasis on getting really good at what, what I refer to as engineering practices. So practices that people do when they're actually physically developing software. Um, 
as things progressed, um, you started seeing Scrum take a lot, much more um, market share, if you will, about people when they're adopting Agile. And I think that's there's for a couple of reasons for that. One is that it, it was a bit easier to learn, I think, than extreme programming. Because uh, one of the emphases of extreme programming was is take a few very good, um, very helpful approaches and take them to the extreme. Um, and so that was challenging for a lot of people because especially things like pair programming, test-driven development, those were substantial changes in how people were working. Um, so Scrum in, in, instead kind of took a look at it and said, let's change how we um, approach managing the work we're doing uh, and organizing it. Um, it doesn't really have a lot to do with core engineering software development practices so much as let's figure out how we organize and how we collaborate. So fairly easy to learn, but can be very difficult to master. It, too, does require a bit of culture change, um, but you see a lot of organizations adopting it because it's easy to, easy to adopt. What you see happening, though, is they adopt the practices, but they don't necessarily go all the way and adopt the values and the principles, which is unfortunate because then they run into failures um, because they are kind of going through and, and they're, they're going through the motions of doing the practices, but they don't maybe don't always realize that they're opening themselves up to risks because they're not making the changes in, in how their organization is structured to really make those practices effective. So that, that Scrum, the focus on, on adopting Scrum was probably kind of the middle thing where it's let's put a bigger focus on, on project management. Um, the evolution has also happened as people start, depending on who started finding out about it, first it was practitioners, um, so they were just trying to find ways of doing software development better, and then it became a bit more commercial. Um, so where Agile has kind of crossed the chasm where you got a lot of different people coming in and trying to get their piece of the pie, if you will, um, and so it's kind of, again, morphed, and that really is, I think, in my opinion, driven a lot more of the go the route and do the practices but don't really live the principles. Um, the next step was is the folks that had originally started doing Agile then said, well, there's seems like there's got to be something better. We even need faster feedback cycles. Um, and so around 2006, 2007 timeframe, David Anderson uh, came out with Kanban, which was um, influenced by the Toyota production system, and um, and things from the, and and lean manufacturing ideas and and it was really a process of saying we don't even necessarily need to do things in iterative let's go from a more flow based perspective um, but again still looking at how do we manage work and things of that nature um, then um, as of more recently there's been a bigger focus as, as some more of the larger more conservative more staid organizations have started saying hey this agile things been around for 10 years or now, so it must be going to stay. We better take a look at it. There's now a huge emphasis on scaling. So moving it across so there's multiple teams working on things, how do we apply Agile to big programs? Because when it first came out, it, the thought was we can only do this in small teams. And so the big big brouhaha now, the big emphasis now is on, on how do we scale this? How do we do enterprise Agile? Um, and only recently has the idea of really focusing on We've got better at building things right. So a lot of the original practices, especially like extreme programming, were kind of focused on here's some things we found that work to help us do better quality. Um, but it's only been the last couple of years where people have started thinking, you know, we ought to also be thinking to make sure we're building the right thing. And for me, coming from an analysis background, that's where I really start paying attention because that's where – the worlds of analysis and agile really kind of intersect and collide is trying to make sure, are we 
You know, do we know what problem we're trying to solve? Is it a problem that's even worth solving? Um, and then what's the right solution for that? Or how do we have a way of figuring out that right solution and adopt, adapting that idea of that solution based on what we learn going forward? Um, the thing that makes me feel good now is that you're starting to see a bit more of that thought process going on. And at the same time, and this is also something that I've been hoping for for a while, is, is I've always wanted to get it to the point where we didn't actually have to use the term agile. Uh, it just basically um, be, would become something along the lines of these are just generally good ideas that you should do anyway, and they don't need a special label. Not there yet, um, but I think we're getting closer. And, and part of that is the idea that let's, not, let's make sure that we're using these good practices, but we're applying them at the right places. So we're not doing things we don't need to do. Um, and, and I think that it's going to continue to evolve. There's, there's people out there that are trying to figure out how can we commercialize Agile. There's people out there that are saying, I just want to be able to do a better job at my, at my software development project. And then there's people that are trying to figure out how can we push the envelope and figure out what's that next thing that's going to help those people who are trying to do better things. And that last group of people, the folks that are kind of out on the edge trying to figure out what's that next thing we need to learn and understand, are the folks I think it's really fun to watch and follow. Um, one of the things that's been talked about a little bit more recently is the idea is an idea called Kinescence that was originally, um, and it doesn't is not spelled anywhere anywhere near what it sounds like, and I probably said it wrong. Uh, Dave Snowden came up with this idea, thinking that there's kind of different um, perspectives on what things happen. There's there's ordered type of situation. Uh, such mm-hmm. as, and, and the terms for those are obvious and complicated, um, where th- there's not that much uncertainty. And then there are the other cases where it's either chaotic or it's complex. Um, and depending on which situation you're in, you'd approach it differently. So it's really pointing back to you got to understand what context you're in to figure out how you should be doing things. And, and people that are trying to figure out how to take those ideas and apply it to practical, real-life situations and adjust your approach based on that, I think is where there's some really neat stuff coming in the future. Well, you said a lot, and, and, and a lot of that's important. And luckily, this, uh, uh, this show and this interview is recorded, and we'll be able to listen to this time and time again, because there's a lot of valuable information, uh, what you're giving us here. I, I'm listening very intently myself. I'm a senior project manager uh, doing mostly architecture builds, and I find myself leaning more, working more in an, um, in an agile manner, so to speak, than traditional project management because of the different sprint cycles that are involved with building the different uh, platforms for software, such as UAT production, DR, development, and readiness. And, and speaking of that, what can you, what's your view of the differences between uh, traditional project management leadership style versus agile and scrum? Yeah, it, and it's one of the one of the things that I've one of the things I've been struggling with lately is uh, the the whole um, the labeling thing. So you know, I've mentioned that you know this label agile was handy, was helpful to kind of put make a, something to coalesce things around. The unfortunate thing is is there's no good label for stuff that's not agile. So, you know, right. you have people that will use waterfall or, or you'll have people that use traditional, and I do that too. And, I, and I, at the same time, I think, well, that's not really fair either. Um, but the, there's a couple of big differences. One of the main things is, is, and I mentioned it earlier, is that I think Agile was the first 
time where you saw people actually paying attention to values and principles as kind of the foundation of things. Um, before software development life cycles, uh, they were built on specific basic assumptions. And, um, and a lot of my career, I've been a project manager too, so I, I don't feel too bad about taking what might perceive as pot shots. Uh, so part of it is is that the, the assumptions in, in what you know what I kind of view as traditional project management, fair or unfair, um, is there's the assumption that the plan we create at the beginning is right. Because um, that's you know it's kind of where the perception of uh, work the plan plan the work work the plan. And underlying right. that is that assumption that we know enough at the beginning to be able to create a plan for six months out that we can still still behold to. And, and the truth of the matter is, is that in a lot of software development or knowledge work projects in general, um, that's not the case. You don't know. There's so much uncertainty. You don't know what things are going to be like six months from now, six months from now to be able to effectively do that. Uh, so one of the things that Agile, I think, just kind of, if nothing else, it just admits, it, it, it recognizes and accepts the fact that we don't know what's going to happen six months from now. That doesn't mean we shouldn't plan. It just means that we need to be prepared to prepare to for the future, but we're going to have to adjust that plan as we go along. So there's planning that still happens, but it's not baked into the assumption that the plan is always correct. And if, if that, something deviates from the plan, it's because we did something wrong. Something deviates from the plan because we learned more, and now we need to adjust. Um, another another difference is kind of how you treat people. Um, and, and this may, may end up being a little bit unfair. Um, but in a lot of, lot of organizations that I help out that are moving from a kind of a more phase-based software development life cycle where uh, the organization has ended up being structured around kind of how they approach software development, which makes sense. And, in fact, there's an idea called Conway's Law that basically kind of alludes to that, that you'll build software according to how your organization is structured. I think it happens in reverse, too, that you end up structuring your organization based on your software development process. So when you had phase-based approaches that were we do analysis first, then we do design, then we do development, then we do testing, voila, you end up having these specialized silos of analysts, designers, developers, and testers. And, and then along with that came this idea, and for somewhere along the line, we started referring to those people as resources. And it might seem like a small little semantic thing, but the act of doing that, I think, reinforces the fact that we try and treat them as that, as resources, which means that we get in the head that one of the things we've got to do is we've got to be as efficient as possible. And what that means is that people have to be as utilized as possible. We need to get them as close to 100% utilization as we can. And unfortunately, we don't do that by saying we're going to just have them focused, this group of people focused on one project even have working on four or five, because depending on what they're doing, the, the one project may not have a need for analysis work right now. So they'll be on four or five different projects at the same time, and, you know, it'll kind of work out. You know, they'll be kind of like 25% allocated to each one, and I, I did that math intentionally that way. So you often have people that are even more than 100% allocated to projects. What ends up happening in those cases is people make choices probably without enough sufficient information as far as what they're really focused on. Because I can guarantee you that people that are working on four different projects at the same time really aren't working on four different projects at the same time. At any one given time, they're focusing on one thing. 
So Agile, again, basically accepts the fact that, you know what, it's probably better if we give people an opportunity to focus on one thing at a time, and instead of trying to parallel work a bunch of things, we're going to put things in serial and probably stand a better chance of getting them done sooner because you don't have all of that waste that goes along with context switching. Um, as I was talking about the evolution, I mentioned kind of the idea of flow coming in. Um, one of the big things that you're seeing a lot now is the whole idea of flow throughout the product development cycle, and it really reinforces those ideas that we, we really shouldn't be trying to overutilize people. Efficiency isn't the goal. It's really looking at it from the standpoint of how can we keep things working through the process faster, and in some cases that, means, that may mean that some people are not fully utilized, and that's okay. Um, especially from a knowledge working perspective, because people can only go at it full bore for so long before they start getting tired of making mistakes. Those are probably some of the biggest differences. It's, again, it's that, that focus on, on oh, and, and there's one more. Um, <clears throat> traditional project management has seemed to express and, dis, and defined success as meeting scope, time, and budget constraints. Um, and in a lot of cases, that makes sense. However, um, what I found is that that probably isn't sufficient. What you really should be focusing in on, are we solving, our measure of success should be, are we solving the right problems and treat scope, time, and cost as constraints? So things that are bounding our solution but are not being the sole measures of whether or not it's being successful. Because a, a good friend of mine delivered a $27 million ERP program in 14 months, met, this, met the, the budget constraints, met the time frame, uh, delivered all the uh, scope items, and the project was considered a complete matter of failure because it didn't really meet the needs of the people who were using it. So somewhere in there, something happened. Um, so I, I think that, that, that there's a difference in how success is measured and how those, those, those triple constraints are treated. Um, traditional, those are really the measures of success in a lot of cases. In, in other approaches, it's more along the lines of we treat those as constraints, but we're really trying to figure out how, let's measure, let's figure out what value are we providing. Thank you, thank you so much for that. And, and now, now I'm going to be David talked from his perspective from project management. So Kent, you might guess that I'm going <laughs> to speak up on behalf <laughs> of the business analyst now. Okay, we're we're and, kind of double teaming um, him, aren't we? <laughs> Um, but but fair enough because you know the the audience is often uh, split between those those two roles and um, I think sure. both of them when agile came along people struggled to well where do I fit in in this this new right. um, environment so business analysts I remember talk of them they're going to put us out of business they don't need us anymore or everybody else on the project was agile but the business analyst was doing double time trying to document and keep up and get the right proper signatures or whatever the case may be. Um, so so what, how has have, um, things kind of fallen into place, and is there a better understanding of the business analyst role, traditional or not, on the Agile team? Yes and no. Um, I think there's probably a growing number of people in the Agile community that have a better understanding of where analysis skills can be helpful. I would also say that there's a growing number of people uh, that have been business analysts for a long time that have a better understanding of what Agile really means and where they can fit in. Um, I would also say there's a lot of misconceptions on both sides. 
mostly because of bad experiences they've had with people from the other community. So I like to look at Agile as providing um, folks with analysis skill sets as getting, giving them a great opportunity to actually do analysis. And it, and it comes back to what I mentioned before as far as that whole focusing on value. Do we know what the problem is we're trying to solve? Is it the right problem to solve? Is it worth solving? What are the best ways of doing that? That, that to me, um, along with then using analysis techniques to help build the shared understanding among the people trying to deliver that solution so everyone's on the same page, that is analysis. That's the fun stuff with analysis. Um, the, the whole concept of um, one of the statements of the manifesto is working software over comprehensive documentation has been misinterpreted. One of the benefits of that is it's saying um, we are no longer in a position where we have to use completed documentation as a way of measuring progress. One of the disadvantages of um, the phase-based approach is you're going along doing projects in that fashion. You still want to have intermediate um, milestones, interim milestones. It makes perfect sense how we perform it. When you're doing things where you're not actually developing the end product until way down the line, you need some way of knowing are we still moving, progressing, getting things done. What ended up happening was the documentation filled that gap. That's one of the main reasons you see all those very document-intensive processes. That and the fact that it was used as the main means of communicating information from one skill set to the next. Uh, with Agile, you're building software a lot faster, and that ends up becoming your measure of progress. So then the documentation you're producing ends up becoming uh, a means to an end as opposed to an end in and of itself. It's being used to help to help communicate what's going on. It's an aid to the communication. It's not the sole means of it. And that's freeing up people, um, those business analysis skills that have always been able to do analysis, but were always kind of hamstrung and having to create the documentation because no one else wanted to, to use that as a tool now to help build that shared understanding and, again, like I said, really do that, that helpful analysis. Um, so that's the, that's the upside for business analysts, of people with business analysis skill sets. Um, what it also means, though, is that people um, with those BA skill sets that like to look at themselves as business analysts have to be open to adopting and picking up other skills. And, and frankly, I, I think that's also a good thing because I find one of the things that made me a better business analyst was when I was in and, getting test, and doing testing, if for no other reason that I was experiencing the stuff I was shooting down the line to my teammates. Um, that being said, there's a lot of people who, um, for, for whichever reason, have really identified their careers with, with the documentation aspect or the really extensive analysis artifact production that they've done in the past and they, and they think that when we're taking you know, that by taking that away in agile perspectives that it's it's really devaluing what they're doing and it, it's not at all but you still need to do the thought process and you still need to do the work that you did to come up with those artifacts but it's the thought process it's the work it's the conversations that happen that when you're coming up with that information that's much more important than the end result where it's written down because the end result isn't the requirements artifacts. The end result is actually we have our stakeholders whose needs are satisfied. Completely makes sense. I, I, I like that. Uh, that's very helpful. Let, let me ask another question. Is 
in that a lot of people sometimes they're they're working in an environment and and find themselves you know they're kind of got that as a mindset or, or they're ready to they know that what they're doing now isn't working um, but you know the, the department stuck or the project team stuck in a, the old traditional way of the way they always did things. How does someone introduce or is there is there a way that you can kind of start introducing agile? even if the department hasn't um, wholeheartedly, you know, almost like a grassroots. I mean, have, have you seen where people have been successful doing that or any advice? Because there's just some people that are, are frustrated. I mean, what, what, yep. what's your thoughts on that? So, I mean, that's actually kind of where I was for a few years when I first started. And, and a lot of it was I mentioned the whole, the whole pr- premise of doing things guerrilla agile. Um, what, what it is is in every situation, even if you think – you're in a case where you have a very rigid, structured method you're supposed to use. Every situation I've been in in that type in that case, I've always found that there are always ways. If the stru- if the method is structured appropriately, there are always ways to make changes to it for specific projects. You know, every no matter if it even if it doesn't look like they realize it, every you know most methods realize that there is certain value in understanding context. And, and making adaptions to the approach based on context. So what I would suggest to those people is when you're working on a project, um, and this is actually some of the best stories I love hearing about is people actually applying these things in real life, um, is just figure out, okay, so I've heard about these techniques that I think that, that have worked. I'm going to try it out in this particular situation because it seems appropriate in this case. And try it out. Don't say you're doing Agile. Don't. Um, and in some cases, it may not even necessarily be um, asking for permission. It might just be begging for forgiveness, but saying, we're facing a problem. We need to get something resolved fairly quickly. Let's try it this way and see how it works. And, you know, certainly it, it, it's probably going to be influenced by something you've heard, people have heard about uh, Agile teams doing. Um, don't, don't give it any of the fancy names that the Agile community, unfortunately, likes to create the thing. Just say, you know, we're having a communication problem. Maybe it would be good if we, you know, touch base 10 minutes every morning just to kind of see where everybody's at and just kind of coordinate things. Don't call it a stand-up. Don't call it a daily scrum. Um, just say, hey, I think it might help if we just kind of get together and touch base a little bit and see how that works. Um, a friend of mine uh, that, I, that I work with here in Des Moines has some great stories about how it, she actually helped an, an organization adopt Agile. Now, they had basically decided they were going to do Agile, but they didn't quite realize what that meant. So she has a lot of great stories, and she was working with senior IT leadership about how she um, worked with them gradually to work within the rules that existed to gradually get them to change. And a lot of it was is just find situations that are kind of problematic and, and offer solutions. Don't call them fancy names. Just try them out and show some success. And then afterwards you can say, well, you know, what we did there was this, and, and maybe we can take the next step now. Um, so it's often a gradual thing, and that's often how you see organizations adopting Agile is they'll start with one team, um, see how things work with that team, and then gradually start expanding it out to other parts of the organization. Absolutely, and I, I agree with that um, because very rarely do you find a complete organization willing to adopt 
agile methodology as a whole overall. It's much be- much better sometimes to start small and, 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 and let it gain some popularity with uh, quick wins as far as uh, uh, the successes are concerned and let it grow organically. Um, now, now, do you ever, how often do you see pure, true, agile implementations, or do you see more of a hybrid where you see maybe a traditional PMI project management with agile mixed in or with other variations of agile? What's been your experience, Ken? I don't. I don't know that there ever. I don't know that there actually is. And I, I'll have to preface this with um, most of the organizations I'm working with. I'm working with internal IT organizations that are in the financial services, insurance type type situation. So um, they are not going to be the type of place where a pure agile thing right off the bat is going to work, simply because that they chance that they don't have the culture of open collaboration that's going to make that work. Um, I'm, I'm, I doubt that many places adopting Agile now are what you would see as pure because in order for it to really be pure Agile from the start, um, they'd have to have the culture in place that's saying we're, we're really about more, a lot more collaboration, very little command and control, um, transparency, uh, working together, uh, really focused on value. And there aren't too many organizations that are left that haven't adopted Agile that have that type of culture. Uh, so those organizations struggle um, because, they, again, they adopt the practices, um, but in order to take that leap and really make it effective, they have to really start making changes to their culture, and culture change is hard. It's very difficult. It's something that takes a long time, and so you'll see a lot of what a lot of teams will do is they, they can only get so far as doing some of the practices and then gradually start working on the cultures so they can do some more of the things to get really some of the big benefits of Agile. When I work with teams uh, and organizations just starting, the biggest thing I see is that it's usually they're, go- they're going from a situation where they're organized, they're doing the, uh, they have the resource pools, and then when they have a project come up, they pull people from, that resor- from the resource pools, they work on the project, and after the project's done, they blow that team up, send them back to the pools, and pull another team together. And one of the big things with really make, making an investment in doing this is you're having to change your organization structure saying, we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to have teams that are consistently together, that are cross-functional, that instead of taking people to the work, we're going to bring work to the teams. And there's a lot of people that are afraid of doing that because it's so different than what they're used to. And, it's, and when I say people, it's usually the managers, not the people working on the teams. Absolutely, absolutely. That's totally understandable um, that you get that type of uh, feedback. Um, what, what I've seen is it's harder to implement Agile as a whole in, in a large global organization where you have already a large culture established, and it's easier, as you mentioned, to change the culture when you have a smaller group of people or a smaller organization, and uh, and I've seen variations of Agile where they go to something more palatable, say Scrum, uh, where you have a Scrum master and you're going after these quick wins in a semi-software uh, development environment where you may have some hardware deployment 
mixed in as well. Can you explain the difference between the two, between agile methodology and the scrum methodology? Uh, I've adopted an analogy um, for describing this that I've about a year ago that I, I find to be fairly effective. So uh, if you were to imagine agile, if you were to equate agile to spatial tissue, okay, Scrum would be Kleenex. Uh, extreme programming would be Pups. Um, scaled agile framework, if you've heard of that, would be the Mongo huge generic version that you get at Costco. Um, Scrum really is just a, it's a name brand of a particular approach to Agile. Um, where the Agile software, develop, software development label came from was a group of 17 guys, I mentioned this before, that got together in 2001, and the people that were there were, were guys, and they were all male at that time. They had created these different approaches, and they wanted to get together and see, you know, what the consistencies were. Two of the guys there were Jeff Sutherland and Ken Schwaber, who were the two that came up with Scrum. Um, so as it originally started, Scrum is a kind of is a subset of Agile. It's one of the Agile approaches, but because of the marketing that's gone on around Scrum, the whole um, stuff around certification and kind of the own community that's kind of built up around Scrum itself, it's kind of got taken on a life of its own. But in reality, all it is is one flavor of Agile. And thank you. Uh, so, and let me ask you this. Now, I actually have a question from one of our um, callers. And, and their mm-hmm. question is around on a personal level. Um, they're working in an environment that is stuck in kind of that waterfall, what we talked about, kind of just an archaic method. They're ready to break out. They, wanna, they want to um, pursue Agile. What would you say to someone who's not getting it from their work experience? What, what are some of the things that they can do to either learn Agile and, 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 um, in order to kind of add that to their, their resume to make a transition to an Agile environment? You got some, some tips there. Uh, excuse me. So uh, depending on what their well, – I guess it doesn't really depend on what their, their particular skill set is. But uh, um, so, what you know, one of the things are is that – and kind of the way I did it is, again, you can, you can um, even on the projects you're working on, you can see where can I start applying these ideas and, and start modeling that behavior yourself in, in the practices you're working on. And you might find that you can gradually get, get something moving more closer to an agile setting. Um, the other thing that is starting to happen a lot is that, um, in fact, they, they had one in um, Des Moines here recently where there will be hackathons or code jams where, for example, over a weekend, um, and it happens a lot in the entrepreneurial community, um, where for a weekend you get together, and there, or startup weekends, where you get people together that they have a weekend to kind of build um, a product from scan. Although they don't often say they're doing Agile, that is probably the best example of working in that kind of, of fashion because effectively is we've removed all kind of process constraints, um, and we're just doing stuff that makes sense in order for this team to work together. Um, so finding opportunities like that to kind of work on things is also helpful. For example, one of the things I'm doing um, on the side, it's not part of my day job, is I'm the product owner for the submission system for uh, the Agile conference. So we... Uh, 
Um, the Azure Conference is a week-long conference. This year it was in Orlando. We had about 240 sessions. And the selection process for that is we open it up so anybody in the community can submit things and it goes through a review process. So we need a system to handle that. Um, and so I'm the product owner for that submission system. I work with a couple developers, and we, uh, again, drink our own champagne. So we take an extremely, I guess you could say, extremely agile approach to building it um, to the point where we don't even use iterations. We do it very flow-based, um, but we're using a lot of the, the concepts, especially around, you know, are we delivering the right things um, what things should we be focusing on? So finding some of those types of side projects that are going on is also a great way to get some experience, maybe not necessarily at work, but there might be other things going on outside that you can apply some of those ideas as well. So those are some things that I've done and seen that some others do that are, are good ways to kind of get that experience. Um, most, most cities have local Agile user groups. Uh, people can go to agilealliance.org and they have a user group section where you can see, okay, is there any kind of group in my local area that might be doing that kind of thing? There's usually groups in cities, and then there's some companies that have things like that as well. And in, 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 in Iowa, for example, we have Agile Iowa, which is a, an Agile-focused user group, and then also our local IIBA uh, chapter, so International Institute of Business Analysts, have a Agile discussion group uh, where, where folks get together once a month and just kind of share stories and ask questions and talk about either experiences they're having or, you know, they're trying to get into it and asking questions from that standpoint. So look for some of those community groups can be a helpful place to kind of get started and hear about what else, what opportunities might be out there as well. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and you're, you're being a bit modest because there's also your book uh, and your upcoming book, Beyond Requirements. And, and let's talk about it. You first uh, co-wrote uh, with Stand Back and, and Deliver, co-authored that, Accelerating Business uh -huh. Agility. And now in 2015, uh, I think we targeted the first of January, first part of January, we should see Beyond Requirements. Talk about the where you you were when you were part of writing the first book and now what's brought brought you to the point that you're ready to write another book? And what's your focus here? Maybe has it has it changed a little bit? And, and who's the target audience for your new book? So uh, Stand Back and Deliver, um, I co-wrote with uh, Pollyanna Pixton, who has uh, numerous years of experience in, in tons of different software-type projects. Um, she is really now heavily into leadership um, and, and a, an idea called collaborative leadership. Um, Neil Nicolaisen, who's been a CIO at several different places, he's currently the Chief Technology Officer at OC Tanner. Um, he developed the um, purpose-based alignment model. So for your business analysts in the audience out there, if they're familiar with the Agile extension, that's one of the techniques that's been added to that. Um, it's a great tool for figuring, do we have to really treat this thing as if it were differentiating, as if it were parity? And then my other co-author is Todd Little, who has spent several years in software development. He's a um, development manager um, for HCI, or IHS, I believe now. Um, and, and his big thing is he does a lot with estimation and risk. Um, he was also kind of one of the, the founding um, uh, folks of the Agile Conference, and he, because of the, the perspective he had in the company he was working at the time of, getting folks together. And, and the way that book came together was is that Pollyanna, Neil, Todd, and I all had kind of different angles of things we were focusing on. And we realized that our different ideas and, and tools, Pollyanna with collaborative leadership, 
um, Mia with purpose-based alignment, Todd with context leadership, and, and me kind of the, the view of putting it all together in a certain way, um, really would be a helpful book. And so it was targeted at leaders of organizations, uh, very helpful for people that are trying to manage portfolios, very simple, straightforward tool, tools. I, I get a lot of ribbing because there's a lot of two-by-two uh, two matrices in that book. Um, but they're very powerful tools that are fairly easy to learn but have a lot of subtleties to them. Um, we wrote that in 2009. Um, when, and then for a couple of years after that, but again, it was targeted more towards leaders of organizations. And in fact, Pollyanna and Neil have gone on to write another book that just came out this year called Agile Culture Change, I believe, um, which is a great book, which is kind of extending the idea of, of some ways of helping change cultures again by how They've done it in various organizations. I, I found out that I, or I thought that it, there was a unserved market. And, and so the targets for beyond requirements are people that are involved in internal IT projects. Um, certainly business analysts are a big part of that, but just really anybody that might be doing analysis. And really the, the reason I chose the name beyond requirements is it's kind of getting to that thought of saying, you know, Analysis skills, there's a much more to it than, than eliciting and documenting requirements. It's really about, again, what I've been talking about, it's that understanding where the value is, figuring out if you're solving the right problem, um, but it, using some analysis tools that exist to make that happen. Uh, so the book's a, about kind of changing um, how analysis works with an agile mindset, applying analysis tools, but then also bringing in tools from other places um, to solve analysis type issues in internal IT projects. Um, so bring in stuff from lean, uh, lean startup ideas that are very effective and very powerful that can be still useful even in large organizations that are doing internal IT and some other domains. And it's just kind of saying, here's things I found to be helpful. I'd like to pull them, to, pull them together for you and say, this is where you can kind of use these ideas to really do much more interesting and, and be much more effective and be more valuable to your organization um, if you have these analysis skills. Excellent, excellent. Well, uh, a, a great opportunity there. And, and you know, I, I'm I'm just jotting down my notes. Um, just some great takeaways from our, our conversation this this evening with Kent McDonald. And you know, I, I like how you said, you know, don't get stuck on the labels and the the theory around agile or thinking of it as this prescriptive, you know, methodology. It's about doing the right things for the right reasons. You know, just trying to uh, do what's right for your project and introducing incrementally to some extent, kind of being agile in how you introduce agile, even if you're in an environment that's not quite there yet. And then I think for our, our caller, uh, for the, the question that was on the line, too, I, I love the suggestion of, you know, join some of the weekend hackathons or code jams or, or startup weekends that's indirectly they're applying Agile because they've got this short period of time and they're doing these, this iterative de development um, using a, a project team. So that, that, all of that is, is, you know, just such great information. And um, can't thank you enough. Really appreciate you sharing with our, our audience this evening. And, Dave, I just want to give you the opportunity. Do, do you have any other uh, questions on the line? Well, actually, Jacqueline, thank you. I think we have a question online uh, right now from extension 08, uh, 0869. I'm going to unmute their 
their microphone and see if they have if they actually have a question. I've got a question mark by that number there. Hello, you're on the air with Dave Jacklin at Technology Expresso Cafe Radio, uh, extension four zero four nine five two zero eight six nine. Did you have a question for Mr. McDonald? Um, hello, David. Hi, uh, my name is Don. Yes, um, basically, you all already had asked a question, and um, Ken provided a great answer. I was just looking to see if if um, you were wanting to find out some other ways in order to learn more about Agile, how would you go about it? So he's provided some wonderful tips. Thank you. Great. Thanks a lot, Dawn. So as I, as I mentioned, Ken, you, you, you've given us a, a plethora of information here tonight. And, I, you know, I don't want to get stuck on uh, rehashing anything or going over any of the Agile basics. You mentioned there are plenty areas out on the Internet where everyone can learn more about Agile on their own and figure out how to best implement it within their organization. There is, let me let me piggyback, uh, there is, I, I do know just recently, the Agile 2014, I saw a lot of people out there uh, tweeting about that. Um, Kent, in your experience in, in this year, what were some of the, the hot topics that you think? Uh, is there is, is there anything new about Agile, or are people, you know, just discovering? Um, I, I love the way you said different flavors or, or whatever. Is there anything in 2014 or 2015 that, that, that people are starting to buzz about that we can, can look forward to as far as Agile's evolution? So the yeah the there are um, there are some hot trends that came out of the conference this year and then there's also new stuff that people are talking about and those aren't necessarily the same thing. Um, <clears throat> so one of the thing interesting things about the Agile conference um, is that it really has become kind of a gathering place for um, for people that have been doing it for a while and for people that are just trying to learn about it and for people that are trying to get into that Agile kind of inspired market. So um, it, it has, in effect, become um, kind of the, the place for mainstream thought in, in the world of Agile. And the biggest trend there, frankly, um, so big, big topics are always coaching and, and treating and work collaboration and working with people better. But the big thing this year there was the whole thing around scaling and enterprise Agile. That was probably the biggest trend coming out of that is these, again, these larger organizations are trying to, to figure that out. Um, so uh, there's a couple of, <clears throat> again, no, new approaches that have come out. I mentioned one earlier, Scaled Agile Framework. Um, another one that's quite popular is by the guy that I, um, whose book got me started on this whole adventure 10 years ago. Um, Scott Ambler's come out with this, um, Disciplined uh, Agile Dad. I can't remember what the, yeah, the last D stands for. Um, so those are a couple of different approaches, and if you Google those things, you'll get, get tons of, of information about that. Um, the other things that I mentioned that are probably a little bit more bleeding edge, um, wasn't as much conversation at the Agile conference. Those types of conversations I found uh, end up happening a lot at the regional things where it's a smaller group of people, so people get to, together and have a lot more chances to talk. Um, and I think a lot, a lot of things there are surrounding Again, a little bit more focus on the idea of value, uh, more focus on, on getting the right context and understanding that, and bringing a lot of ideas from other areas 
um, behavioral psychology, for example, is, is really starting to pop up. So the work of Daniel Kahneman and um, cognitive biases and things like that that influence decisions people make, you're seeing you see a lot of that sprinkle up. And it's, again, it's that kind of that human in, um, aspect of software development that is continuing to grow and build on that thing. So those are kind of some of the, the newer stuff that you see popping up that people are, are talking about. Um, and these are the really experienced folks. And then there's other folks that are trying to figure out, okay, so how can we take that and make it practical and apply it to when I'm working at the bank on an IT project? And that's one of the places I like to work in is keeping a, an idea on what some of the what's going on in some of those really advanced areas and then kind of helping folks that are really just involved with software development as a job and trying to just do a better job, get that thing done. So that's one of the things I'm focusing on now um, in my role as VP of product development at B2T Training is kind of building that curriculum that says, how can we bring some of this really good stuff and make it practical and useful for people that are just trying to do good analysis and good software development? Absolutely, absolutely. And ladies and gentlemen, you can follow Kent McDonald, our guest tonight, on beyondrequirements.com, his blog, and continue to get all of these nuggets of, of wisdom and uh, insight. Um, and so, uh, Kent, we want to, again, thank you. Also, as you mentioned, uh, B2T Training, great resource for, for training and um, education around all things requirements, I, I should say. Um, as well as a shout-out to a good friend, Cooper Smith. Um, and um, we look forward to having you back anytime, Ken. Please keep us posted on that, that book when it's ready. We'll uh, come visit you at your first book signing and broadcast live <laughs> right here with you. So just All right, know. great. <laughs> and David, there's, a, there's a lot of people asking if the book done yet. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, now, now, you have, now you have a reason, yet another reason why <laughs> we got to get this book and get it out there. <laughs> That's right. Definitely. Beyond requirements, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Kent McDonald sharing his experience with agile methodologies and that mindset. Thank you, Kent. Uh, as Jacqueline mentioned, our microphone's always open to you, sir. All right. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks, everyone, for joining us here at the Tech Espresso Cafe. Again, visit our iRadio uh, website, you'll find our show archives where you'll have this very informative uh, um, uh, conversation as well as others for download or repeated use and sharing. Uh, we also have we also have a a text reminder for our shows to stay abreast of what's going on with Technology Expresso. You can send the text message to four one. 411. If you text launch to 41411, you'll get uh, text on your cell phone of our upcoming shows. No more than four a week, uh, and that's if we send one out. So that's just so, so you can stay in touch, stay up on what's going on and what's brewing at the Technology Espresso Cafe. Thanks again, everyone, for joining us. Good night. Good night. <laughs>